Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz, coming to you from upstate New York. I'm a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor. And coming from you, no, and coming to you from Münster, Germany, I'm Mike Wasserman, professor of international management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, when Bela and I were both on the faculty of Clarkson University, uh, we would have a lot of interesting conversations about how the world is changing and specifically about how innovation and entrepreneurship are changing. Uh, we'd do this over a cup of coffee or lunch as time allowed. And then about two years ago, I moved to Germany. And then after that, Bela retired. But Bela had the, uh, what I thought was just a wacky idea to continue these conversations in the form of a podcast uh, and invite others like you to listen in. Um, I thought this was a horrible idea. I'm not a podcast guy. I hate the way my voice sounds uh, when it's recorded and so on and so forth. Um, but Bela, as usual, uh, was right. Uh, and we've had a great time so far over the past year or so uh, putting these together. So join us each week as we talk with interesting people we've met to share stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. Bela, tell us about this week's episode. Sure, Mike. Before we dive into today's interview, I just want to remind our listeners that one of the key elements of this podcast is to interview business founders we can all identify with. We've had coffee roasters on the show, software developers, business consultants, cafe and restaurant owners. We're not trying to discuss how to start the next Facebook or Google. What we want to do is bring you stories that hopefully will inspire you to realize, hey, I can do that, and then take the first step to start your business journey. This week's guest is George McGarren, president of the McGarren Group. This is a really interesting interview, Bela. But before we begin, uh, let's take a second to remind our listeners that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. And this is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us, Bela, right? You know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship practice partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their nationally recognized attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startup businesses. Phillips Lytle is my go-to team for startup businesses, for guiding startup businesses down the path to success. So we're excited to have Phillips Lytle as our show sponsor. You and I both know that they think like entrepreneurs, taking a pragmatic approach to getting things done and spotting issues before they become problems. So if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I can confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? So for more information, contact Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner. If you are old-school phone person like Mike and I, then you can give Rich a call at 518-618-1225. Or if you are of the generation that prefers online communication, you can reach out Rich directly from his firm's website at philipslytle.com. That's P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-L-Y-T-L-E.com. And it'll be great for us if you let Rich know that you heard about Philip Slidle from listening to the Unconventional Path podcast. All right, with that said, let's jump right into today's interview with George McGarren, president of the McGarren Group. Okay, three, two, one, George McGarren. 
Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with George McGarren. Uh, he is the founder and president of McGarren Group. Uh, this is an organization uh, that has a couple of different functions. They do some recru recruiting uh, for personnel, at pre predominantly at the executive level. And George also does a fair amount of coaching, uh, career coaching for various different individuals and different levels of folks. So, uh, George, welcome to the show. Bill, I appreciate you having me on today. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the show. So it's uh, it's 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 cool to be here and uh, and talk to you about some of the topics I think that relate to not only the things that I've dealt with but also from your listeners as well. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for uh, being a show listener. I appreciate that. So George, my first question: If you're at a uh, cocktail party and someone comes up to you and says, "Hi, George, uh, what do you do?" How do you answer that question? So that's a that's a terrific question, and I'll I'll probably bar that for the for the next time if uh, if you don't mind. Um, the I would I would probably answer in saying that I I run marathons and, and ultra marathons, and uh, in my my day job, you know I work with executives in terms of either career placement or even on the on the executive branding side. Uh, and then besides that, I've got you know a family that I that I uh, that I you know try to spend as much time with. And that's that's probably the way I would answer that at, at a at a cocktail, at least on the first drink or maybe the second. So that's that's how I would answer that. <laughs> right. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, I think people know what recruiting is and, and, and placement. But what's uh, what's career branding? What is that? It's a new term. So I think I think it's and, and the the game has changed quite a bit in, in terms of of how this maybe would have would have meant maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But I would say. Today, career branding is someone at, let's say, and it doesn't have to be, the person doesn't have to be at the executive level, could be an entrepreneur, but I think there's, a, there's an opportunity now with terms, in terms of social media, LinkedIn, to, for, the, for the individual to be able to control their own, quote unquote, elevator pitch. So, so LinkedIn, you know, the first thing that folks do is, is, let's say you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for a new business or you're looking for, let's say, a referral. The, the other party usually will go on will go on Google, the Google a person, and the first thing that will show up in general is LinkedIn, right? So there's an opportunity for the individual to to market and, and tell their own story. And I think that's kind of the importance of, of branding. Um, and I think, you know, executives can use that. Directors can use that. Even new folks coming to the market can use that so that when they're interviewing or even approaching for new business, uh, they're able to control some of the some of the messaging and framing behind their own story. So I think that's kind of the what I would sort of consider career branding. So, so as as you were saying that, as I think about it in my own career, uh, when I got out of uh, grad school in '75, uh, my career branding was my resume, and and that was it. Uh, that's the only thing I had to worry about. And uh, the world has changed a little bit now. There's all these other outlets. Uh, where you have an identity that people can find. And uh, so what you're saying is it's important for us to actively manage those and, and make sure that they are uh, branding me the way that I want it to be branded. Exactly. And, and, and even, you know, back in the, when, when the resume was sort of the number one sort of, you know, piece of the, I guess the equation, the second piece I would say was also your reputation, right? So you could have a terrific resume, but a terrible sure. reputation vice versa. And, uh, and I think LinkedIn, for example, lets you sell towards some of the positive parts of your reputation, right? So I think that's it kind of goes, 
it's sort of the same problem that, you know, in 1975 or 1980 um, that folks had or even the 90s. And, and, and it's uh, so it's I think LinkedIn is sort of a reputation builder, if you'd like to call that and face and, and Facebook and core and all these other sort of uh, avenues for, for folks to, to better tell their story. So I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100 percent. But I think, uh, you know, it, things are still the same as, you know, let's say 20, 30 years ago. Reputation is still, you know, number I think would say one of the number one indicators if you can do well uh, in terms of uh getting opportunity yeah yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense so if i were to engage with you george uh on a on a career branding uh exercise i'll call it uh walk me through that what would we do so so usually and that's a that's a it's a great question um so everyone that i that i've worked with and my group has worked with has sort of a different scenario right in terms of what their objective is and and uh and I think the first thing that we would solve and determine would be, you know, what is your end game in terms of why are you working with me? Right. So some 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 folks are looking for sort of a better sort of uh, sort of, let's say, job placement or sort of to empower their career. Other folks are looking to build up their brand in terms of a business. Other folks are looking to hire just a better team. Uh, and then, you know, the fourth case sort of scenario would be they're they're trying to get some sort of cohesive message with, with the whole team. But I, the first piece would be to determine what exactly is your end game, right? So, so once we determine that, then the, the next step would be to talk about sort of, and it, and it comes down to very, you know, Bailey, one, one very simple question, I think for a lot of people, it's why are you worth the X dollars that you're going to charge somebody or that you are charging somebody? And we need to figure that out very quickly in sort of one sentence or less, right? So we determine that, um, and then we kind of take it from there. But that's those are sort of the first two things. What is the end game, and w- you know, what is your sort of one sentence or two sentence value proposition in terms of, uh, you know, why are you worth a half a million dollars or a million dollars that you're going to charge, or why are you worth the three hundred dollars per hour that you're going to charge a client? And uh, once we determine that, we can kind of go from there. Yeah. So as you're saying that to me, George, you know, it, it makes me think that this is at least how I was thinking about it when we first started this conversation, that it's really much more than branding because the types of questions you're asking me there are really much more sort of career guidance, career coaching, whatever, whatever words you want to use there. And that branding is an element of, of, of that. Is, is that sort of correct? Exactly. And, and, uh, and I could, and, and I think branding is sort of a loose term, right? So take someone like myself, you know, I quite frankly, I haven't had, a resume probably in 20 years, but I use LinkedIn in, in the way that a lot of other sort of the listeners on this podcast would probably use it. I use it so that when I'm getting referred to someone else that maybe I don't know, they're, uh, they're, you know, someone's, they're able to see kind of what, what I'm about. So I think that's, that's also the other piece of it. And, and a lot of people have that, have that problem, right? Where they're, they're terrific technicians and, and they're terrific at promoting their own product, but they're not great at promoting themselves in a sort of a truthful way without without the embellishment. Right. So that's, uh, you know, I think it's not only related to the career piece. I think it's also related to just it's sort of like, a, I would say, you know, a very big business card uh, with a lot of sort of weight behind it. And I think not taking that piece seriously is, is a lot of times uh, it's not only a career mistake. It's also a business mistake for folks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. So, uh, the, 
how are in general the people you engage with uh how, how are their skills in this area is it something that maybe you know being a former professor it's is it is this something that there should be a course in 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 college or how do we learn this stuff other than engaging with someone like you are there books that people can read are there other uh sources of information um and what are our skills like in general so and I guess the question is more based on are there books that someone can read just to sort of to, to do a better story, do a better job in, in, in telling their story better on online? Is that, is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, you know, there's I don't know how many LinkedIn profiles there are, but there's, there's millions and millions of them. And, uh, you know, if you were to look at 100 of them, you know, what score would you give them on in general? Right. It's a great, no, it's a great question. So I think I think there's I think now to date and I might I might be wrong about this number. But I think there's now 600 or 700, it might be 600, I'm not sure if they've gotten 700 million um, active profiles, right? But obviously, you know, with 7 billion people on the planet, these 7 billion people have access to the 600 million profiles, right? Let's say. Um, the, I, I would say, though, I would say the one piece of advice that is, is relevant, and this is, you know, without having to talk to someone like myself, uh, I think, you know, the the model of sort of emulation, you know, find somebody or find three or four people that you respect that, that are at a spot that maybe you'd like to be at, look at their, look at how they've done things. And I think you can probably use some of that model. I think that's the, that's probably the, the first piece that I, that I give folks is find three or four people that you really respect, look at how they've done it. And you can, and you can, you can, I don't want to say copy, but you can kind of sure. borrow that model. And uh, I think that's step number one. I think step number two is, the 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 written part and i think this is you know if you're sending an email out or a text message or even something like linkedin you you have to think about who is the end user and who's actually receiving the message right so you have to be very conscious of who is your audience and i think that the material you know always has to be written towards the audience and and uh and and not really sort of you know to 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 a, to an audience that that is not really your your key market or target market. So I think that's the second piece is uh, just make sure that really whatever material you have written, if you either do it yourself or pay a professional like like someone like myself or my firm, that you're writing to the correct audience. And that that's a that's a big thing I think a lot of people miss out on. They uh, they tell the story in a very qualitative way, but they don't really quantify the the wins to the people that they're trying to. Uh, to, 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 I guess, uh, you know, sort of distribute that information. To yes. Help. Yes. So can, can you give me an example of something like that? If I was writing, uh, so, put that in context for me a little bit, George. Right. So, so the, it was like, for example, in, in your, your, your LinkedIn profile, right? So I took a look at your LinkedIn profile and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. So no, it's great. So I think, so there's a couple of things of, you know, and, and the, there's, there's material out there about, about, the, the sort of awesome things you're doing, you know, with, with your podcast, right? So on your LinkedIn profile, what you could do is talk more about sort of the wins in terms of, you know, who you're, who you're ta- your the, the typical person that you're working with. And I would, I would recommend even to, 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 and you have a little bit of that, but I would even recommend to, to go a little more in detail in terms of a story if you could. But I, the, the, the interesting, I think people love the sort of zero to hero story but in, in a truthful way. Right. And I think in, in terms of your LinkedIn profile, for example, and others, being entrepreneurs, you know, folks can relate to that. They can relate to 
interesting guests that are doing sort of cool things, right? So maybe you've had, you know, four or five guests that that have worked on products that that other, you know, that people know, um, they can relate to that. So there's there's things that people can do, you, you know, in terms of uh, telling the story better. If you if you know if you have clients that are sort of recognizable in terms of the marketplace, you can you can name drop. Obviously, you know, assuming that the they're, you're able to. But there's there's other opportunities there for you to sort of sell your story and the sales pitch, the elevator pitch. Uh, but I would say you need to I would say you know probably quantify some of the deals. I guess I'm going to call them deals. But quantify the, the 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 reason people are coming to your podcast. Why is your leader? Why is sort of the, the audience growing, growing? Right. Number two, and number three, um, you know, what is your opinion in terms of why people need to listen to the show? Right. And uh, and then the fourth thing I would say is you know, with, with evidence of, of, of sort of three or four folks that you've worked with that have had success stories. Right. So that's, uh, I think that's, that's how some like yourself could use, use LinkedIn maybe a little better. And I'm not trying to, to constructively criticize it. I think it's a terrific profile, but I think, you know, just sort of, uh, that would be how I would probably improve the LinkedIn profile in, in your case. No, that's great advice, George. Thank you very much. I will, uh, I will work on that. <laughs> I will definitely <laughs> work on that. I am not. I'm that. I'm of that age where the uh, whole social thing is uh, sort of a new experience, and uh, I'm still. Uh, I'm still learning, and uh, so. Uh, so as we were talking about this, you know, I was thinking back and reflecting back on my own career, where I had I had the fortune to work at two, you know, Fortune 100 companies. I worked at General Electric and I worked at IBM, and inside of those corporations, there's sort of career coaching that goes on. Uh, you have a boss. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a mentor or two in those organizations that sort of took me under their wing. Um, and and there's definite role models that you can see through the hierarchy in those larger organizations that you can identify with and, and you can sort of say, okay, I want to be like that person and, and give you some goals. In today's economy, where where there's uh, fewer and fewer people working in the Fortune you know, 500 and and that the there's more and more small independent companies and entrepreneurs, uh, people working as consultants or freelancers. Um, it, it strikes me that that what we're talking about here becomes even more important, uh, particularly on the coaching part, because there's no other place to get it these days. So, so Bella, you bring up a you bring up a great point, right? So, and and uh, and you know, you and I sort of have the same philosophy, right? So, when you know, I think you know. At a, at a very young age, actually, you know, since birth, most folks have coaches, right? So we're at home. We have a, we have, in most cases, we have sort of, you know, we have parents and, uh, you know, we'll have parents and, you know, they're sort of our, our, I guess our first version of a coach. And then we go to school, we have teachers, they're, they're sort of another version of a coach. Um, if, you know, if you're, if you're going to, you know, any sort of either, let's say sort of, you know, go to church or the synagogue, you have a rabbi, you have a, you have a priest. So we have, we have, we've always had sort of different versions of coaches, right? So sports, we brought up the example before during our, when we first spoke about, you know, I have coaches there and then we sort of get into the work workforce and then sort of the coaches go away. Right. So it, it's a, it's a big problem. And I can tell you one of the, one of the biggest things that, that changed my business is, and this is, so I've been running the business close to 20 years now, I've got 30 people, but about five, Five years ago, I decided that I needed a coach as well to help me sort of teach me what I didn't know. Right. So it's I think it's it's the the, the benefit of having a coach is 
is that you can take someone's 20, 30, sometimes 40 years of experience, right? It's all packaged up into one sort of bundle. And you can very quickly access that, right, without having to go through some of the, the, the growing pains of those 20, 30 years. So I think it's, a, it's sort of a, it's a fast way to the, to, the, to the end game, right? So I think that's the value of, the co- of coaching, either using sort of a career coach or a business coach. Uh, but I think that's the, the true value of coaching, right? Where you're able to sort of to 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 pivot and sort of you know sort of uh, use the experience of others much quicker. And obviously, there's a there's a price to it, but you're able to to use their experiences and uh, and, and pretty much save yourself a lot of time, and a lot of heartache, and and usually that's that equates to you know saving a lot of money in terms of mistakes. So, yes. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, you bring up an excellent point in, in that we have coaches and all sorts of other things we do. Uh, but when it comes to uh, being a freelancer, if you're in that economy or, you know, working at a small to medium sized company, um, you often don't have any coaches. And um, it's something that I think uh, is important. And like I said, you know, uh, in the old days, they were called mentors. Uh, and, and you could, you could sometimes find those, but they're sort of hit and miss. Um, uh, they're, they're not, uh, some of them don't work out very well. So that brings up a, a point. Is there any type of credentialing that happens, uh, for, for coaches? In other words, if I'm looking for one, what do I look for? Let's say I decide, okay, I like what George is saying. Uh, but I'm going to try to look for a, co- a coach. How do I do that? And what do I look for? So I think, I think the first piece would be to, to try to, work with somebody that comes uh, either referred from somebody that somebody else that you know that has had, had, had success. Right. I think that's sort of the, um, I think that, that to me, that would be sort of the criteria. Number one, number two, I would say is make sure, you know, that you find a coach that is dealing with, with people that have the same problem as you. Right. So let's say that you have a business and your business does, let's say it does 1 million, let's say it does a million dollars a year. And you're trying to find a coach that can take you from one million to ten million dollars, right? So, the 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 first question you should ask the coach is, tell me how many businesses that you're brought from one million to ten million. And if the answer is none, then you need to move on and find a new co- find a new sort of person to talk to. But I think you have to make sure that and there, there's sort of coaches everywhere. And I think it's it's uh, you know for me it's been a sort of a normal thing for 20 years before it was even a, a, a you know sort of a, a popular sort of phrase. But I think you really need people that can that have that have sort of you know walked the walk and, and talked the talk, but but have done it over and over and over and have real life sort of you know case studies and examples and uh, and folks you can talk to, right? So you just have to make sure that the people you're hiring or interviewing are able to solve the exact sort of problem that you have and have done it over and over and over. And I think that's kind of the number one indicator, right? So you wouldn't in the same you know in the same way I'm not I'm not qualified at all to teach at a university. Um, you know, you need, you need folks that are, that are, that have the experience behind them. And, uh, and that's the, the other indicator is, you know, the second thing is probably, I would say in terms of years of experience, number three, it's not always the case, but in general, you sort of get what you pay for and, uh, you can determine, you know, a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, 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 the better ones out there cost more money, you know, than obviously the ones that are giving their time away for free. Right. So. Yep. That, that's sort of uh and it's just you know it, it, it's it's unfortunate to say that but in general and the entrepreneur for example you have to look at it this way even if a coach is charging let's say you know three hundred dollars five hundred dollars an hour 
they're solving a, a million dollar problem for you. And they're not solving a $500 problem for you. So that's the, that's sort of the one piece that I think you know, sort of entrepreneurs starting out sort of miss is that, you know, you have a, you're, you'd like to make a million dollars or let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars uh, or $200,000 and then 500 and then, you know, a million and then 5 million, you know, you, you have a, you have a bigger problem than the $300 that someone might charge you per hour to, to teach you and, 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 and sort of, you know, walk you through some of the execution to get to that point. So. Excellent. Excellent points. Uh, so that was really good advice there. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because um, your business does, the McGarren Group does sort of two things. We, the one area we've talked about, this sort of career guidance, coaching, et cetera. Um, and the other one is talent acquisition. And uh, I know that oftentimes uh, small to medium-sized companies in particular uh, struggle uh, as they grow they need to bring in C-level talent. They need to go find a VP of marketing or a VP of ops or um, whatever the C-level uh, talent they're looking for is. So what are some of the things that, that you can help with there or firm, firms like yourself can help with? And what are some of the key things that you want to look for um, when, when you're trying to recruit that type of talent? So I think, I think there's, there are, the, the number one thing that and, and the way we, you know, the way we hire and also the way that we help clients, uh, you know, sort of organizations hire is I think I think the first piece is they have to be a terrific culture fit. And uh, and you hear that over and over about culture fit, culture fit, culture fit. But I me personally, I'd rather have, have I'd rather hire somebody that just sort of, you know, culturally gets along and, and fits in than somebody who's you know extremely bright but doesn't culturally fit in right so i think the first piece is and you'll see you know i think a lot of these a lot of the smaller companies that have that have done really really well that have turned out to be um you know quite successful i have one client that 15 years ago they did about 15 million dollars in revenue and they're doing now they're doing four billion and they they only hire in culture fit right so i think culture fit is a huge huge thing um and i would say n number two in terms of you know, sort of finding just sort of, you know, better talent. The the person that you need to hire is probably doesn't need to work for you. Right. And the person, you know, that uh, doesn't need to work for you just doesn't know that he needs to sort of work for you. So I think the best talent out there is probably probably working and you need to be able to figure out how to get access to those people. But it's, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, talent is, is, is kind of, they have to culturally, you know, be a fit for you. That's the number one piece of for, a piece of advice that I'd say for most folks. And then, uh, you know, in general, you know, people get paid what they're worth. So just being, you know, there is a difference between somebody who makes $10 an hour as an executive admin and somebody who makes 60. So I can tell you that, you know, firsthand. Right. Um, so. So George, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this culture fit. Um, and, and when you brought that up, it, it reminded me um, one of the, one of the things that I heard one of my my bosses say in my previous lives when you're hiring people is uh, do you as a manager of, of an organization uh, will you tolerate a brilliant jerk <laughs> and uh, I just thought it was a great question and I've remembered it now for well over 25 years um, and, and he, he the reason he asked that question is he said there's no right or wrong answer here, but if you do decide to tolerate a brilliant jerk, then you're sending a specific message to the rest of the organization as well. 
So I thought that, I thought that was interesting. Well, that's right. And, and, I, and I think, you know, you have to be conscious of the other people that are working on your team, right? You also want, you, you know, you have to be the, uh, and you'll, you'll see some of that in terms of some of the exit interviews. I think it's important to talk to people when, when you know, people don't work out. It's also important to, to get yes. their opinion and say, sort of, you know, why, what, you know, if you, if you were in our shoes, you know, how, we, how could you make this a little better? And do you have any tips for us? And, uh, you know, no, no matter what level you're at, I think right. it's important to hear the other side of the story. The, uh, and if you start to hear that over and over, then obviously, you know, you have a problem. Um, the, you know, the, it's, it's, you know, I think for me, I think business is still about people, right? So it's, it's still about, there's, it's still about customers. It's still about the people that, that you're working with. It's for, still about the people that you're serving. And, uh, I think the, the financial piece comes later and, you know, there, there's a lot of talent, especially, you know, in the United States and especially with terms of the, the global market now where, where you're able to sort of an entrepreneur can, can hire somebody from Hungary, a PhD, um, you know, a data scientist, let's say, maybe for a little cheaper. But their market is is so much bigger now in terms of talent that I think you're able to hire. You're able to, you know, you're not sort of married into hiring. Let's say, you know, the sort of the jerk that you mentioned, right? Right. You hire right. The, the the somebody maybe is a little nicer. And I think you know, I think you know, people in general are are good and they think they can learn things. Um, and, uh, you, know, you just have to be patient enough to be able to, to manage them and lead them. Right. So that's, I, I agree with that advice. And I don't know if that was from your IBM days or, uh, general electric, but it's, it's terrific advice from a manager. Yeah. So one of the things I, I always struggle with, with culture is like you said, everyone talks about it. Everyone says how important it is. But when I look at most organizations, culture is just sort of what happens they don't really manage it. And if you ask people what their culture is like, I'm not sure that most sort of CEOs or, or company founders would have an accurate uh, view of what their culture is really like. So is that something that an organization like yours helps with to sort of identify the culture before we start going out and bringing in additional talent? So, so that's a, no, that's a great question. So during, so during the, the search, let's say, so the, the, let's say there's, there's sort of, uh, and, and, and it's a, that's a, and the reason I think it's a great question is a lot of the times, you know, pe- folks are getting, and I'll give you an example. We're, we're replacing right now, we're, we're running a, a high level CFO search for, for a fortune, fortune 100 company. Okay. The, the reason that, and, and it's, so it's a confidential replacement. So the person is still in the seat you know, today, the, the reason that they're looking to replace this person, it, it has nothing to do with performance. It's more about sort of, you know, and I'm going to say it, it's a, it's a, he's a, he's a, he's a male. It's about his, his leadership and the way he deals with his team. Right. He's just sort of the, he's sort of like you mentioned, sort of the, the, the jerk genius. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a big, big deal. Um, so the first piece that, you know, the first piece that we focus on in terms of the recruiting is, does this person, is this person going to fit in with the other, you know, the other 10 members of the team or 20 members of the team? And, uh, that's a, that's a, that's, that's one of our number one criteria in terms of, you know, do they fit sort of the four or five things that the client needs? But the second question we always ask is, you know, do they just fit in? Are they going to, do they, are they going to fit in if, uh, you know, if they need to, right? And do they, do they naturally fit in? It's probably the better sort of determination. The, uh, but it's, it's, and I agree, it's sort of one of these things where people talk about a lot, but it's, it's, um, I, I would say CEOs and CFOs and, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to a lot of them. 
they're very, very conscious of the culture fit. And even on their own side, when they talk to me about George, I'd like to make a move. One of the first things they say is it's not about the money. It's not about the opportunity. I just want to work in a place where, you know, I really, where it was sort of what culturally makes sense for me as well. So they're, they're also conscious of that as candidates yes. when they talk about their next move. So, yes. Excellent. So uh, let's, uh, I'm going to take another little uh, twist here and talk a little bit about your business and uh, uh, your sort of growth and, and how you decided to uh, go out on your own and sort of what your background is. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, George? Okay. So, I mean, I had a sort of a, I guess, a typical sort of, you know, I guess childhood, right? So I kind of, I grew up in seven miles outside of New York City on, on, on you know, in New Jersey, you know, memories of sort of playing pickup basketball in you know, New York City. Um, but I, I had this sort of, you know, I would say very young age, I had this very entrepreneurial itch, you know, and, and it started when I was seven, uh, you know, typical sort of, you know, I don't know, very sort of classic American <laughs> sort of lemonade stand uh, that I had bought from my brother. The, the lemonade stand was failing. I bought it from him. We decided not to charge him, but he just sort of put a big tip jar and say free lemonade, you know, tips, tips are appreciated. And uh, that was the first successful business I ever had. And then I, at seven, I had a, the, my first uh, sort of business that failed. Um, you know, sort of, so I had this entrepreneurial itch, you know, went to school, did sort of the typical thing. And it, George, uh, where did you go to school? So I went to, I went to Seton Hall and uh, I went to Oxford in England. So I did economics and I did finance. Um, and then from there, then from there, I, I was sort of lucky. I got a job. I worked for Ernst & Young and I worked for Price Waterhouse. Um, things were going extremely well. I had sort of a typical, you know, sort of, I didn't, I wasn't planning on being an entrepreneur. Uh, one day I was recruited by, by somebody in Miami and they said, George, come down to Miami. There's a, you know, and this was sort of in January in New York city, right. come down to Miami. You know, so there's this sort of consulting role for a German company and, uh, we need to hire somebody and you'd be great. You'd be a great fit. Um, you know, so I come down and interview with them and, you know, things were great. And, you know, I was sort of young enough that I didn't do any due diligence in, in, the co- in terms of the company. Right. And, uh, I accepted my, you know, sort of immediately next thing you know, I'm in Miami with a year lease, you know, lots of furniture and, uh, and three months into it, I was out of a job because they decided to close down the whole Miami operation. And that was my first sort of lesson in terms of, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm in big trouble here. This is, this is not a good thing. Right. So yeah. I, uh, I was literally unemployed for about for about a month and a half, two months, and I went to a I went to a recruiter and uh, in Miami in Coral Gables, and uh, you know he he said, hey George, you should do you should do what we do, and he you know decided to work with him, and that's kind of how I got into the the recruiting space initially. But I was literally unemployed uh, when I when I sort of fell into my you know I guess my 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 career job that I have now. Yes, and that's how I started out you know, worked there for a couple of months. It just wasn't, I think in terms of, I was sort of a little more entrepreneurial than, than sort of the rest of them. And I figured out on my own and, and that's sort of how I started the McGarren group. And that was, we're going on, it's close to 20 years now. Um, and it's been, it's gone by so quickly. And I know, I think you can appreciate it as well, but things go by very, very quickly. We've had a great time and I've been able to build up the business and, you know, it's not, it hasn't all been sort of all successes, uh, but we've been able to sort of, you know, to, you know, stay around and, and things have gone very, very well the last, let's say, four to five years. So wow. yeah, that's excellent. And so, George, if people want to get a hold of you at the McGarren Group, what's the best way for them to do that? 
So there's there's uh, there's there's two ways, and and it's kind of you know the, be- the best way, quite frankly. And we respond to emails within the same day. They can email me at george at mcgarrengroup.com, and I'll I'll spell that for you. So it's just George, right? G E O R G E at M C G E H R I N group.com. The uh, the second way is they can just sort of send a text and, and we'll respond. It's 212 658 0801. And that's, that's uh, you know, the third way is LinkedIn. But I can tell you, I mean, I have 30,000 contacts on LinkedIn and I don't personally manage my LinkedIn account anymore. But, uh, the, the emails and the text messages, you know, I'll see, and, and my team will see it right away. So, excellent. I guess, I guess that means that at some level, when you have a certain number of contacts in LinkedIn, you have to find someone to manage it for you. <laughs> That's, I've, I've never exactly. heard someone say that, but I, I can see how it happens, right? I mean, you get to some point, it's just overwhelming. Well, and, and, and you actually bring up a good point. This is, I think, important for us. This took me a long time, and I, it's a long time. It took me about 12 years to learn this as an entrepreneur. You have to you have to decide about the tasks that you really want you'd like to do, and if your if your goal is to make let's say a million dollars a year, your time is worth five hundred dollars an hour, and to be you know sort of tinkering around on LinkedIn for five hundred dollars an hour as an entrepreneur or, or business owner, even as CFO or CEO, it's it's an expensive mistake to make. You're better off paying somebody twenty, thirty, even less. You could pay somebody less for that, but you're better off paying other other people on your team, and and you'll see as well. I mean, they'll they'll eventually do a better job than you could. And, uh, you know, I'm at a point now with my business that most of my team can do a lot of the functions. They do a much better job than I could ever do myself. Right. So it's uh, I think it's the delegation of tasks. You know, it's more about not having 30,000 contacts. It's more about I'm delegating all of those tasks to other people, you know, so I can use, you know, sort of use my time in a better way. Right. To, to you know, sort of to, to I think I value the time much, sure. much more. So that's kind of the, the, the sort of the the going to call it a trick. Uh, but I'm very conscious of my, my per hour rate, if you'd like to call it that. So, right. Right. The, uh, uh, that brings up two points. W- one is that I think that's one of the, the, the ability to delegate and to the ability to recognize, uh, as a founder of a company or an entrepreneur or a CEO, uh, what things I'm good at, what things I'm, I'm not so good at, and where's the best allocation of my time um, that's a, that's a skill that one develops, but it's a very important skill that I think separates the successful, uh, entrepreneurs and leaders from the not so successful ones. Exactly. And, and there's a, there's a book, uh, if, and I don't, I'm sure you read this, it's called the E-Myth Revisited by my, Michael Gerber. He, he talks about, you know, working on your business, not in your business. And, uh, that's been one of the major things for me. And, and just to sort of go back, you'd asked a question about how does somebody, get access to learning about, you know, certain, let's, let's say career branding. One of the biggest game changers for me has been, I, I up my level of how many, and I'm not, I'm not a great reader. I think I'm better at sort of audiobooks when I, when I go for a run, but I try to at least, you know, knock out, let's say 10 books, 10 books a month. And, uh, you know, you're able to get, you know, folks like, let's say Warren Buffett, you know, you're, you're able to bar his time with, with a $25 book. You know, right. it's amazing. If you think about to hire him would be, you know, it would be, inconceivable right but you can buy him for 25 dollars. you can learn about him learn about sort of how he thinks and uh i think it's a great great really inexpensive tool for people to get coached you know and uh by by experts right so there's a there's a lot of common denominators between a lot of what these people say 
and uh, you know you put them together, and then next thing you know, you know you, you'll you'll realize that a lot implementing some of these some of these tricks work. And uh, but I got the the delegation thing quite frankly from the that, from the book that I read years ago. Yeah, right. The myth revisit it. So, yeah, I think one of the great uh, side benefits of this uh, uh, iPods and iPads and podcasts and books on tape, at least for me. Uh, being a runner also is that when I, you know, my, my hour, hour and a half of running uh, every day used to be basically thinking time. And I didn't need that much time to think uh, when I started, <laughs> but, but now it's very productive because I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to books on tape, ex- audio books, et cetera. It's, it's really turned that time into uh, a very productive um, uh, endeavor. No, exactly. It's a, it's a great it's a great way for 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 people to sort of you know improve their game. Yeah. And you know you have a choice, right? I mean, you could watch you could watch you could watch two hours a day of Netflix, right, or Amazon Prime, or you could listen to somebody who's written a you know a book that can maybe could change your life, quite frankly. And uh, you know it's 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 not really you know I'm not, I'm not trying to to make it sound more extreme than it is, but. The, the the problem as an entrepreneur is and this is just this was my problem this is why I decided to hire a coach and, and just decided to, to read a lot more is there's you know you get to the point where you are sort of the leader and no one's really training you anymore you're you're sort of training everyone else and uh, you, you you come to the stage where it's stagnant right where you you kind of don't know what to do and uh, you know besides, as well as sort of all the stresses of life you know with just other things going on and I think you know books and audio, you know, sort of audiobooks and podcasts and, and, uh, they're just great tools for people to up their game, you know, very quickly. Right. right. So, right. Excellent. You know, as you were talking about, uh, thinking about uh, billable hours, uh, one of the techniques that, uh, sort of related to this, that, that we used to use in one of the organizations I was part of, uh, was when we were in a meeting and we had, you know, 10 people in that meeting, we'd say, okay, this is a, $3,000 an hour meeting. <laughs> so let's, right, make, let's right. make it productive, right? It's got, it kind of puts it in context. And I think a lot of people don't think about, uh, things in that way. So I, I think it's a good tool to kind of file away in the back of your head to say, okay, you know, this is worth, whether it's 300 bucks an hour or in the terms of a meeting with, you know, 10, 15 people, it's, it could be worth, worth thousands of dollars per hour. Um, and it's, it puts well, it that's in right. And, and, and there are some, I mean, there are some tricks in terms of, and I don't, this might seem, you know, sort of extreme and it, it sounded extreme to me when somebody had recommended it to me, but I, I don't manage my, my own email. Right. So if there's my team manages it for me, um, they, I would, you know, I'd say they probably, you know, 95% of the times, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're, they're pretty good. 5% they're, you know, there's some mistakes, but I don't manage any of the emailing back and forth. Um, I'm not managing any of the calendar. Um, they, it's, it's sort of me, you know, sort of leading at a very high level Yes. and then, and then not having to worry about babysitting and getting things done. So it's, it's the calendars all set up, even the, even the calendar, even today for just to give you an example for today's podcast, my, uh, you know, I had two people on my admin team, they sent me a laundry list, you know, sort of list of, you know, sort of notes on, on possible questions, right. That you might ask on sort of you know, about, about a lot about the podcast and I listen to the podcast as well. So it sort of, you know, it helps, but they, I was totally prepped. Right. So that's, let's say that's 30 minutes to an hour that I just saved that i normally would have done myself. Right. right. So right. it's, uh, anytime I'm talking to a CFO or CEO or even not an entrepreneur, 
I'm very well prepped with exactly what's going on, even the email chains of what had happened, right? So that I'm able to understand sort of the situation very quickly. And, uh, and that's kind of it. And I save, literally, I must save, I must, you know, I, I'm, I probably save six hours a day because I'm not involved in the weeds, sure. quite frankly. Sure. Right. And that's a big, that's been the number one, you know, and, and besides the business, you know, I have a, it's great for your relationship. It's great for your kids. It's great for quality of life. It's, uh, it gives you time to think, you know, and build your business. Yeah. And, absolutely. uh, I think that's the one thing I see. And I, you know, and if you go to a Starbucks, you see a lot of these sort of solo entrepreneurs cranking away and they're just trading, they're just trading time for money. And I think you need to get out of that model and, and think about how can I use what I'm great at and scale some of that, right. And let other people do some of the, the, you know, sort of my new tasks that, that are not going to make you money, quite frankly. Right. And I, and I will say, uh, there was a point in my career where I was chief of staff to the president of one of IBM's divisions. And, uh, so I answered a lot of email. I did a lot of, <laughs> a lot of presentations. I did a lot of prep work, uh, for him, et cetera. Um, and I think I learned a ton in that job. I really got to see what it's like to run a large organization and it, it prepared me well for many things that I, I did later in my career. So I personally look at those jobs that you were mentioning, um, as really very valuable, uh, to that person doing them because they're getting insight, um, uh, that, uh, you know, to what your daily life is really like. And it either helps them decide, yes, that's something I want to pursue or no freaking way do I want to do that. And, exactly, and, and either of those is a good outcome. <laughs> exactly, and I and I guess I'll, I'll turn the I guess I'll turn the tables on you. And you know, so you worked with this, you were chief of staff. What was the number one takeaway that? And I and by the way, I, I asked somebody about this. Somebody that I know is dealing with, for example, uh, with uh, Michael Bloomberg. Right, he works with him one on one. He works with him in the same office. And yeah. one of the questions I asked was, "What's the one thing you've learned from Michael Bloomberg?" So that's you know, it's, I think it's a great question. Um, and, and you know, what he, what he told me was sort of interesting, but, uh, what was the one thing that you, you learned from that, from, from the, from the guy that you worked for in terms of just like, what was the one takeaway? That's probably one question I had for you. Well, it, to me, it's exactly the topic we're on it, it is, is that the allocation of your time is critically important and you got to figure out how to manage your time because it's the, it's, it's the one resource that's finite and, and, right. uh, you can't hire more. <laughs> Right. So it, the, the more time. So it, it, the way you get more time is by delegating. And that to me was that's why I brought it up, because it's exactly what I learned from that. Right. Is, is, is right. that having a chief of staff or, or having a, uh, you know, it's an assist administrative assistant, whatever, whatever the right level is. And if you get a good one, it's it changes your life as an executive uh, and it makes you so much more productive and effective. And like I said, I think they're great opportunities for people who do those jobs. Exactly. And it's also the it's also great in terms of, you know, you were able to get exposed to a lot of different different material, sort of different opportunities. Uh, and you also got, you know, it, it's it's the the work that you did was was fundamental in his success. And, you know, that's in terms of building a network. Right. When right. you let's say one day you decided you know to run your own business, you know, it, it's I mean, what you have. It's, you know, that's a crucial sort of, you know, in terms of he's able to, or he or she is able to sort of, you know, to, to help some of that influencing to get you other opportunities as well. So it's, it's, uh, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I agree. It's a great, it's a great lesson. Um, there's a, there's a quote that I'm going to, 
you know, sort of, you know, poorly say, but I think Mark Twain said something like, when I was 18, my parents were fools. When I was 21, I was surprised at how much they had learned right. in just three years. <laughs> right. and, uh, and that's not the exact quote, but, it, it, it's, but it's interesting, right? The things that we know now that if we knew 20 years ago, we'd be some, you know, semi-dangerous. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's how I feel. Yeah. So. so George, we've been at this uh, 45 minutes almost. Uh, so I want to start wrapping it up. Um, are there any questions that I did not ask you that I should have? So it's a, that's a, it's a, it's a great, great question. The, I would, I would say one of the, one of the, um, one of the main questions, and this is, this, there's probably, you know, let's talk about the branding part of it would be, uh, you know, so, you know, I run a, so if you're, you're, let's say you're an, ex- you're an executive and things have gone well and for 25 years, you've done very well that, that, or even an entrepreneur that has lots of clients, you know, that person usually would say, I don't, I don't need to worry about social media. I don't need to worry about LinkedIn. I don't need to worry about that because everybody I work with already knows me. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's why does somebody like that, why should somebody like that care about using, let's say LinkedIn, having a great LinkedIn profile. And, uh, the, the, you know, the answer is, you know, you have 7 billion people on the planet and they're, they're, your, your, your friends are referring you to other people that you don't know. And those people that don't know you, the first thing to do is they check you out on LinkedIn, right? For example, as an example, you know, sort of just, uh, but I would say, you know, for the entrepreneur that thinks he has everything sort of set up in terms of great clients and great, it's, it's, you need to be conscious of the people that you don't know that are also making decisions about you. And, and those are, you know, you might be losing opportunity without even knowing it. Right. I think that's one of the biggest sort of, you know, I would say there's, so I deal with a lot of times I deal with, you know, I'm dealing right now with a, with a CEO that makes about $5 million a year. Right. And he had the same exact comment to me. And my, my response was, you know, you have a team of, of you know, of, of thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are just making decisions to work for you or not. The first, they go to your LinkedIn profile to see if it makes sense that they'd like to work for a guy like yourself. And that's what they do. So, you know, they're not contacting you directly, but indirectly, your LinkedIn doesn't make a difference, right? Or your social media or right. your sort of press releases right. and what have you. So it's, it's an important, you know, it's an important sort of mistake not to make. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent advice, George. Hey, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to chat with uh, me today and uh, share your thoughts with our listeners. Uh, it was excellent. Have a great day, Bill, George. Well, no, I appreciate it. And uh, I've, I've been on a lot of, lot of podcasts and I, I can say that this is, uh, this was one of the, the best that I've been on in terms of just the, the types of questions that you're asking. And I think it's, you know, sort of the real, you know, sort of concrete questions that can help people, you know, instead of sort of these very vague uh, you know, comments, but you're, I, I love the podcast and, uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, keep up great work because it's, it's, it's been terrific to, to listen to you and see how you've grown your audience. Well, it's very gracious of you to say that, George. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, Bill, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Mike, I thought that was a pretty good conversation I had with George. So here's my question to you. Did you change your LinkedIn profile based on George's advice? I have not, Bela, but I'm thinking about it, and I'm going to do it. I haven't touched my uh, LinkedIn profile in two years uh, since I since I moved to Germany and took uh, this new job over here uh, as a professor. Um, so it's time to review it, and I really think that a lot of his guidelines were great in terms of putting quantifiable metrics up, um, really getting specific in terms of the value that you're adding, and this idea of thinking about the audience. Who are you trying to talk to, and what's your purpose? Right? In my case, I'm not looking for a job. I got a permanent position. I'm happy here. 
but I'm always interested in looking for really good potential students or research projects or consulting. So I really have to put myself in the shoes of the intended audience and give them metrics that relate to them. So I thought that was really, really good advice. Um, you know, this yeah, whole, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I actually did change mine. So uh, I, uh, I went in and I said, you know what? I, I looked at it after he made those comments. And because uh, one of the things I'm interested in doing is maybe sitting on a couple of boards mm-hmm. and doing a little bit of that type of work. So I changed a few things, uh, you know, tailored stuff around a little bit to be more reflective of that. So uh, I did take his advice. Especially in your case, as I think some of our more uh, uh, regular listeners know that you retired not that long ago. But it's not like you're sitting around watching Oprah reruns all day. So it's interesting as you pivot to this next stage of your career that, yeah, you should change your LinkedIn profile to reflect that pivot and what your goals are, you know, for the next several years, hopefully good health and uh, and uh, happiness uh, willing, right? So that you can do the things uh, that you want to do and, uh, and, and continue your career, just albeit in a slightly different way. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was good advice. What else did you get out of that conversation we had? Yeah, this idea of career branding was really interesting. And, you know, it's an evolution, I think, of this. uh, Maybe a lot of you have heard of this. There was a book called Brand Called You, I think. And it was really like a movement to do this idea of personal branding, which, honestly, I had a negative reaction to. It's like, okay, come on. But as I kind of thought about this, and, you know, you know me well, and some of the listeners might have figured this out. I react and then I start to think about it and then usually I realize that I'm wrong or partially wrong and I kind of come around and change my mind on things over time. So I try to be very open-minded, uh, opinionated, but open-minded, which is, seems like an oxymoron, I think, but, uh, but I think that's a good characteristic. So, you know, I've come around to this importance of kind of having a clear sense of where you want to go. Um, and I think this, this is right. I don't know if it's the end of the resume, but it's a transformation of the resume as a statement about... Um, where you want to go with your career, what kind of really what kind of person you want to be, what kind of life you want to lead, um, and this is this is all important. And in order to do that, you have to have a clear sense of um, where you might want to head. There might be more than one path that's interesting to you, uh, but you need to be able to enunciate that. And then you need to be able to, as George said, have some facts and data to back up why your plan makes sense and why it'd be a good fit for an organization, and give people the opportunity to help you achieve that that goal or to, to, to go down that path, whether it's a job, whether it's some advice, whether it's a networking connection, whether it's a, a consulting gig, you know, gig economy kind of stuff. There's so many ways that the digital kind of revolution has transformed how people can help you. It's really amazing, right? We, you were talking, Bela, about this idea that, oh, all I had right, was a piece of paper, right? You remember you got that nice paper, the thick paper, and you had to get it, take it to the printer to get it printed because all you had was a typewriter, right? I mean, we're old school on this stuff. Um, but now with, with kind of the digital transformation of, of work and career, I thought it was really interesting to kind of reflect on that a little bit. Yeah. You know, what did you think about his points about delegation? I thought that was really, really key for entrepreneurs who are sort of, you know, trying to figure out where their value, where their own personal value add is in their organization and and what they should do and what they should let other folks do. Oh, my gosh, this is critical. I mean, not only for me in my own life is learning how to delegate, but seeing others that I've worked with over the years and others that I've mentored is becoming a better delegator 
empowering people to help you is such an enriching experience for everybody. It frees your time up, right? Like letting my LinkedIn management go, right? To somebody else, giving up control, trusting, not having it be exactly the way you would do it. Let that go. And at the same time, you're giving people the opportunity to add value, to feel valued, um, to, to, to learn. Uh, and I think it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. And it's maybe nice uh, as people reflect on what they can do better. Um, you know, to me, I'm always trying to be a better listener. I'm always trying to be more present in conversations I have with people. And I'm always trying to delegate better. Um, so I think that that was, that was a, a great, uh, kind of a, a great story. And I also loved his advice about reading books as an inexpensive coaching mechanism, right? So he was like, ah, I, uh, you know, I delegate, I let people do my LinkedIn, but I'm using some of my time now to read more books by people. And that whole idea of, you know, for 20 bucks, you can buy a book and, right, to get access to that person, to hire them to come to your organization, it'd be thousands and thousands of dollars. I thought it was really cool. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. There's this, I know I certainly don't read enough and, and I should do more of that. And every time I do read one of those books, I say to myself, God, that was really good. And, and I always have a couple of keepers, things that I, I, I garner from that book uh, that I file away and I, I know I'm going to use at some point in the future. And uh, I keep saying to myself, I should do more of it. And uh, somehow I got to make the time to do that. Yeah. You know, everything I've done in my career, which I realize is not stellar by any means, right? But everything that I've done, I've learned from other people. I've borrowed it. I've adapted it. I mean, which was that theme cut through a lot of what, what George was saying was it really is the idea of, hey, find stuff that resonates with you. Find stuff that's worked for other people. You don't need to reinvent yourself, as the term goes, from scratch. You need to just look out there and see what what's worked, right? And, and what resonates with me and how can I put together um, a package, right, or a configuration of these different skills, knowledge, attitudes that people have had to turn me into a better person or a better manager or give me the type of, of life I want. So I just thought that was great advice. And whether it's listening to podcasts or reading books or reading magazines, talking with people, listening, going to talks, going to, um, to special events, um, you know, following people on social media, it can be this whole range of mechanisms that can be very inexpensive. Um, but very powerful as tools to transform yourself, to turn yourself into a better manager, a better entrepreneur, a better person. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. Was there anything else that stuck out at you uh, from our conversation with George? Well, you know, I thought this whole take on mentoring and coaching um, was really important. And I like the distinction. You know, you called it mentoring. He called it coaching. Um, but I really do think that the idea of people should go and actively seek out mentoring and coaching, whether it's paid or free or whatever. Um, but that that's just a nice life skill and a nice habit to get into, that even the most successful people can use coaching. Sometimes it's from people younger than you. Like I consider myself getting mentored a lot from younger people on things like social media and on things like um, generational marketing and on things like, how, you know, for me, how to teach better, right? Or for me, research ideas, you know, what are the things that are, uh, that organizations are struggling with as it relates to new technologies and, um, you know, digital workforce, things like that. I don't know all that stuff. I get coached by it, right? And how do I connect better with younger students, right? I'm 52 years old, right, right now. I don't know how a 22-year-old thinks anymore. I used to, right? But I don't. So I allow myself and I open myself to get mentored, right, or to get coached by sometimes by people much younger than me. And it's really insightful. 
I used to push back against that hard, right? I was the expert, hmm. right? And the, I think sometimes the older you get, the more you realize what you don't know and the more you're open to learning from others, which I think is one of the great things about, about getting older, yeah? Yep, yep. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with uh, parking your ego at the door, right? So uh, you, you, have to, you have to understand that uh, anyone, you never really know who can help you and uh, who can, whatever they might observe or say or bring a different perspective to what you're working on, uh, will give you more enlightenment uh, to see a better way of doing it um, and, and help you proceed down that path. So I think being open to those types of conversations and discussions and input from others is really important and, and critical. And sometimes failure is what drives that, right? I mean, George talked about how he failed, right? He had a failure. He had a, a career, hit a career wall, right? And that opened up his eyes to... Uh, some new options and some new possibilities, right? That what he thought was, okay, I am awesome and I'm working for an awesome company and all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under you, right? And it makes you reconsider. It makes you open up to maybe there's another way of looking at, at these things. So I love this idea of taking a, a barrier or taking a, a failure or taking a mistake or whatever and turning that into an opportunity to ask for feedback and to take criticism and to think it through doesn't mean you have to respond. If I responded to every single piece of criticism that I got on my teaching or my research or whatever, right? I mean, I'd be constantly doing things, right? But you have to listen to it all. You have to process it all. You have to kind of organize it into themes. You have to look for outliers and then use that information to, to change, whether it's a small thing like a behavior or a, um, an action or a decision or a bigger thing like a career path or a philosophical change. It's all good. You know, any, any criticism I think is good criticism, as long as it's intended constructively and, and kind of respectfully, right? It's all stuff you can do something with. Maybe not now, maybe later, but it all should fit together. Yep. And, and you know, you have to think about this, not just in the, in the terms of uh, everyone you act with, and giving criticism, sometimes you get positive feedback. Someone Absolutely. will say, hey, that's really good, right? So it's it's not just, it's it's comments. I like to think mm-hmm. about it in terms of receiving comments and feedback from people, not just criticism. Yeah. Now, lots of times you're onto something and you're not real sure about it and someone will make a comment to say, hey, that's really good. And that's the encouragement you need to kind of take that next step with that thought or idea. Yeah, and sometimes you just got to ask what worked and what didn't work, right? What should I keep and what should I do differently? Because if you're, you know, some people like con- consistency over time. They like to do the same thing. Other people like me like to change a lot and see what works. But sometimes you can throw out the good things mistakenly. So you got to take right. that feedback and pay attention to it so you don't throw out the the good stuff. But you don't want to, you know, I don't know what the right euphemism is, but you don't want to uh, to take that too seriously so that you don't, you're not open to change. But it's finding the right path between keeping what's working, still trying to do better, right? But really focusing on what you can do better, what you can control, right? To, to improve whether you're, it's an entrepreneurial venture or you work for a company or you're just trying to be a better partner or spouse or parent or whatever, right? It's just kind of figuring out how to take that feedback and grow and improve on a daily basis. Yep, excellent thoughts. Should we wrap this one up? I think so. All right. So listeners, we're really happy that you joined us once again in our podcasting adventure. Uh, We hope you found the last hour or so interesting and thought-provoking. As usual, we have a couple of small requests. 
First, if you've got questions about what we've discussed, uh, suggestions about topics or potential guests that we should bring on the podcast, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And second, if you like what we're doing, hit like or subscribe on your podcast app, uh, or you can even be radical and consider writing us a quick review. And of course, if you know others that might be interested in what we're talking about, please share the link with them. Hey, so that's it for this week. Thanks for spending time with us. We look forward to you joining us for our next episode. Signing off from upstate New York. See you next week, Mike. Thanks, Bella. Sounds great. That's it for this week. Over here in Minster, Germany. Everybody have a great week. Bye.